Good morning. Um, it's a great privilege to share with you this morning. Um, I haven't done this in, in a few years, and it's something I love to do, uh, so this is, this is a lot of fun. Uh, today we're continuing with our series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and we're talking about the idea of journeying through the wall. Our series is focusing on the idea or the thesis that emotional health and spiritual maturity together can release, uh, unleash a revolution. Hitting the wall is a pretty common expression, and it's especially common when it comes to exercise. It manifests itself by sudden fatigue and energy loss. For example, in cycling, it can be to the point where the athlete is unable to stand without the support of their bike. A couple weeks ago, famous chef Gordon Ramsay was competing in his third Ironman competition, and he was unable to complete it. And Ramsay had this to say, hi guys. Didn't happen this year. During my bike ride, I threw up several times, and I wasn't able to keep anything down, making me dehydrated. I thought I'd be able to push through the marathon, but my body just shut down. In other words, he hit the wall. Pete Scazzaro talks about the stages that we go through in our life of faith, and he gives us this diagram to help illustrate the idea that life is a journey. There are detours, there's movement, uh, there's distractions. Sometimes there are complete stops. The journey can't be rushed. It, it, we often wish it could be, but it can't be. You know, like in the movies when there's those video montage moments, it's like, man, I got to go through months of training because I got to get ready for this fight. Like, think of Rocky, for example. And so they do the two-minute feel-good pump-up song where you see him running up the stairs and punching in the freezer and all this kind of stuff. And in that two minutes, he skipped over all the hard work, essentially, and he's arrived where he needs to be. Don't you wish that you could do that in life sometimes? When you come up against a challenge, it's like, all right, video montage moment, I'm gonna get right through it. I think about that anytime I do push-ups. Like, if I could just have my two-minute feel-good pump-up song and arrive in a place of biceps and six-pack abs. But that's not reality. The journey cannot be rushed. The journey cannot be montaged. So let's take a closer look at these different stages of the life of faith. Stage one is that point in time when you become a Christian. You experience that life-changing awareness of the God of the universe. You realize that you are a sinner and that there's nothing that you can do to make right your relationship with God. But you meet Christ. You accept his grace. You ask him into your heart. The perfect son of God who died for you and everything begins to change. Life begins to look completely different. At stage two, uh, discipleship is uh, discipleship, it's when you begin to learn. You are hungry. You're regularly reading your Bible. You're engaging in fellowship and community. You join a small group. You just have this desire to know God more. You get baptized. You go to conferences. You focus on learning more and more what it means to be a disciple of the living God. And as you grow more, you move into stage three. You begin to actively serve Christ. You volunteer. You're no longer just taking in, but you're giving back. You're taking responsibility. You're using your gifts to bless other people because God has blessed you. You are active. But then something happens, and you hit a wall in your journey. And the wall is the most difficult transition of all, and it causes you to take a journey inward. This is also the place where countless Christians have gotten stuck and have simply quit. 
They never make it through the wall. This is the seed falling on the rocky ground. When the troubles and the persecution come, the, the seed quickly falls away. But when we desire to get through the wall, we begin our journey inward with God's grace. And as we search ourselves at stage four, we begin to move outward. Our outward serving glows out of a deeper understanding. And so at stage five, you can be doing much of what you were doing at stage three, but it's grounded in a whole new understanding of who you are and who God is. It has depth and maturity because you have faced the wall and you have journeyed through it. And by God's grace, you move. Stage six is growing and being transformed into the love of God, and it's just pouring out of you. Now, it's important to note that as we journey through life and as we have different experiences, we repeat these stages. And so when you look at the diagram, you may see different stages and be able to identify with different stages at different times in your life. We're not just going to hit one wall in our lives. We're going to hit multiple walls. And it's a difficult place to be. In fact, you can be there for a while. It's uncharted territory. But it's necessary to visit if we're going to develop into deep people and mature followers of Christ. Some of you here today have experienced many walls in your journeys. And others, perhaps, you haven't yet. And then there are some of you here today that are at the wall right now. So how do I know if I'm at the wall? Here are some indicators. For most people, the wall appears when a crisis comes into our lives that turns our life upside down. For example, it may be a divorce. It may be a failing marriage or a betrayal. It may be through a job loss or through a health, uh, the death of a family member or a friend. Maybe from a diagnosis or a painful, disillusioning church experience or a depression that is deep, crippling, and paralyzing. It could be a dream that has been taken away from you, a troubled child, a car accident, the inability to get pregnant. It could be a deep desire to marry that remains unfulfilled or a career that ends before it even began. Or maybe it's in your relationship with God. You just you can't seem to relate the way you used to. There's this dryness, this loss of joy. Heaven seems quiet. You pray and it feels different, like nobody's listening. And you begin to ask that age-old question, God, where are you? You question yourself. You doubt your giftedness. You doubt your friends. And fear begins to creep in and influence all of your decisions. I've experienced a number of these walls in my life. Walls that have just completely sucked the joy from my life. My parents got divorced when I was young. And it took me close to 10 years before I realized just how, how negatively it was affecting me. I've been betrayed by a girlfriend that I thought I would marry. A few years ago, my mom received a terminal cancer diagnosis, and the doctor said she has seven years at best. Seven years of watching my mom's health decline. And around the time of the diagnosis, I realized that I was depressed. And in fact, I had been depressed for most of my life, probably since the divorce. But my, my depression began to worsen to the point where I would skip school and I would avoid social interaction like it was the plague because I felt anxious and I felt like I didn't fit in. We hit these walls and the very foundation of our lives feels like it's being shaken. We don't know where God is. 
We have no idea what he's doing, where he's going, or if he even cares at all. And there are countless Christians who get to the wall and never make it through. They just get stuck. And so some of you this morning are at the wall, and you're stuck. Or maybe you've been to the wall, and you retreated. It was just too hard. It was too painful. This morning, I challenge you, if that's you, to go back and visit that wall so that you can experience all that God desires for you. Or maybe you're sitting here thinking, what's he talking about? Life is amazing. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Reverse that. And if that's where you are, that's amazing. And I am happy for you. But don't shut this out because you're going to hit the wall. It's just the way it is. And you want to know this. Our scripture for this morning is taken from Genesis chapter 22. We're going to start with verse 1 to 14. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to follow along. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his, in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So at the beginning, God talks to Abraham and instructs him to take his son Isaac and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Talk about a wall. If I was Abraham, I would be checking my connection because there is no way that he heard God correctly, right? Abraham comes up against this wall, and if we look back in his life, we can see that this is not the first time that that has happened. In Genesis 12, God directs Abraham, who at the time was known as Abram, to leave his country, his family, his house, to leave everything and travel into the unknown. That's a wall. And so Abraham journeys to this land that God has promised him. But as we read in Genesis 12, verse 10, there's a great famine in the land. 
And so Abraham left everything behind, trusting God, and he's brought to this place of famine. I'm pretty sure that Abraham in that moment would be wondering if he made the right choice. That's another wall. And then there's Abraham's wife, Sarah, who was infertile. And God had made this promise to Abraham that he would make a great nation from him. Well, it's been 11 years, and still Sarah hasn't conceived. I mean, he's 86 years old. And so Sarah tells Abraham to lay with Hagar, and Hagar gives birth to Ishmael. And finally, 25 years after God first makes that promise to Abraham, he and Sarah conceive, and Sarah gives birth to Isaac. But then Abraham comes against another wall when Sarah demands that Hagar and Ishmael be sent away, which greatly hurts him. Abraham faced numerous walls, even more than I mentioned. And then God comes to him and asks him to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. His son, who he loves, who he waited 25 years for. What a wall. I mean, can you even imagine that? It just sounds harsh. But God has a wall for Abraham because God desires to take Abraham deeper. James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that's the language that is used in Genesis 22. It says that God tested Abraham. God tests the ones he loves because he has a desire and a plan for us way beyond our own comprehension. God speaks to Abraham and directs him to sacrifice Isaac. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like God is speaking to me and I'll wonder if I even heard a voice, especially when he said that I was going to marry this girl that I had never really spoken to. But Abraham hears from God and he simply says, here I am. Now, I'm sure that Abraham was in great conflict at what God was asking him to do, but he trusted. He trusted in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. He goes, he obeys. And so we get to this point. Isaac has been bound up. He's been placed on top of the altar, and Abraham takes out the knife, ready to sacrifice his son, and God stops his hand. Now, we don't know all that God was trying to do in this story, but we do know that God was doing a work in Abraham's heart. He was bringing Abraham to a place of deeper trust. Journeying through the wall is not easy. And I think our human nature, when we come up against a wall or an issue, is we try to fix it ourselves. If you ask my wife, she will tell you that I am great at trying to fix her issues, but I'm not so great at listening to her issues. And I have some moments of victory, but it's just hard to overcome that natural tendency. When something is broken, I want to fix it. And it's the same when we come up against a wall. But we need to think about our focus, and it's a matter of my will versus God's will. If you look at Abraham's life, there are times when he hits a wall and he tries to fix it himself. He focuses on his will. For example, when he's sojourning in Egypt, Abraham tells Sarah to pretend that they are brother and sister and not husband and wife out of fear. Or his sleeping with Hagar. God had made him a promise, but it's just taking too long, so he tries to fix it himself. But Abraham learns. When God asks him to sacrifice Isaac, he, he doesn't try to interfere with God's will. He doesn't try to fix it. 
He doesn't go, Isaac, who's Isaac? You mean our dog? Or try and hide his son. He just, he obeys, he listens, and he goes. You see, Abraham, I believe, is clinging to something. And it's not a bad thing. He's clinging to his son, Isaac. And maybe it's because he has already had to say goodbye to a son, Ishmael, and he just doesn't want to have to go through a pain like that again. And so he's clinging to his son. It's not like he's holding on to some sin or some addiction. He's holding on to his son, Isaac, and Isaac was a gift from God. But in clinging to Isaac, Abraham is missing out on a greater intimacy with God. I don't know what plans you have for your own life, what your will for your life is. I don't know what things you might be clinging to in your life, but God has a goal for you and a desire, and his desire is that you would live in the fullness and the completeness of his love for you. His desire is that you would abide in him, to abide, to obey, to hold on to. Or another way of saying it, God wants you to cling to him. And just like in Abraham's case, when we're holding on so tightly to anything that isn't God, it means we're missing out on a deeper intimacy with God. God's desire for your life is to draw you back to him, to restore your image and likeness of God. We were all created in the image and likeness of God, but that image has been broken. And we just need to cling to God and trust that he's doing a work in us for a great purpose that maybe we don't understand. But we have to go through the wall. Our faith has to be tested so that it can be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. He has to hollow us out so that he can fill us up. There was a Carmelite monk named St. John of the Cross who wrote a very famous book called Dark Night of the Soul. And according to St. John of the Cross, the normal way that every Christian grows is through the dark night of the soul or through the wall. That's where everything else is stripped away and God begins a deep work within us where he draws us closer into communion with him. And all of a sudden, the things of this world no longer seem so appealing. They lose their luster. And you get this, this new perspective, this deeper understanding. You read scripture, you sing songs, you listen to a sermon, and, and you get it. You feel it in your heart. This thing is real. This incredible, all-encompassing love that God has for you, it's real. And you no longer just know it in your mind, but you begin to understand it in your heart. And so we come to the wall, and God desires to cleanse us, to prune away at the things that are keeping us back. According to St. John of the Cross, God brings us to the wall in order to purify us of the seven deadly spiritual imperfections of beginners. Try and say that five times fast. Pride, avarice, luxury, wrath, spiritual gluttony, spiritual envy, and sloth. The first of the seven deadly spiritual imperfections of beginners that God addresses at the wall is pride. It's the tendency to be judgmental. It's when you've got an attitude towards other people, being impatient with the faults that you see in other people. The second is avarice or greed, but this is not in a financial sense. This is a constant discontentment with where you are in your journey, when you're always comparing yourself with others, and you're asking things like, how come I'm going through this wall when they're getting blessed over there? The third is luxury, and this is the idea of using God for your own pleasure. When you are more about the good feelings of God 
and you run after those feelings rather than being more focused on God himself. Learning to love God for who he is and not just chasing a feeling. Next is wrath. And St. John is not talking so much about anger, but it's more a lack of patience to wait on God. It's being irritated when I have to wait and we try to fix our own issues. Next is spiritual gluttony. And this is resisting the cross and pursuing pleasure like children. Number six, spiritual envy. This is feeling unhappy when other people are doing well spiritually. And rather than taking joy in your fellow brothers or sisters, you compare yourself and you feel unhappy. And finally, we have sloth. And this is running away from what is hard and simply looking for the easy way out. And so St. John of the Cross says that God is bringing you through this dark night of the soul so that you lose your love for the things of this world. You can enjoy the world, but you don't love it. You love him. You don't cling to the world. You cling to him. And so we come to the wall, and God does a work in us. He begins to open our eyes uh, to things that we otherwise might not see. He begins to purge away those seven deadly imperfections. But we play a part in his work at the wall as well. In fact, I'd say that there are three roles that we have when we're coming up to a wall. And the first is awareness. This is a time of introspection, of examining your own brokenness and understanding just how much you need healing. You begin to name your issues, to own your issues, and admit your issues. And here's the crazy part. It's realizing that this wall, this dark night of the soul, it's not an enemy, but rather a gift from God whose desire is to heal you, transform you, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, and that you might become your true self in Christ. It's a time of becoming self-aware and trusting that God is, in, is at work within you, even though it's hard right now. Our second role at the wall is forgiveness. And at the wall, this is not pretty. This is when life is dirty, when everything is out in the open for all to see. When we become self-aware and we see just how broken and messed up we are, the temptation is to beat ourselves up. The challenge is to receive forgiveness, to receive the love of God even right now when I'm a mess. Our third role at the wall, beyond awareness and forgiveness, is acceptance. And this is embracing and accepting myself for who I am. It's accepting my weaknesses. At the wall, you realize that you're only going to be fully healed when you see him face to face. Um, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, it says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. We accept our weakness and rejoice that it's God's power that is at work in us and through us. In the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro tells an old story about a wise man living on one of China's vast frontiers. He writes, One day, for no apparent reason, a young man's horse ran away and was taken by nomads across the border. Everyone tried to offer consolation for the man's bad fortune, but his father, a wise man, said, What makes you so sure this is not a blessing? Months later, his horse returned, bringing with her a magnificent stallion. And this time, everyone was full of congratulations for the son's good fortune. But now, his father said, What makes you so sure this isn't a disaster? 
Their household was made richer by this fine horse that the son loved to ride. But one day he fell off his horse and he broke his hip. And once again, everyone offered their consolation for his bad luck. But the father said, what makes you so sure this is not a blessing? A year later, nomads invaded across the border and every able-bodied man was required to take up his bow and go into battle. The Chinese families living on the border lost nine of every ten men, and only because the son was lame did father and son survive to take care of each other. What appeared like a blessing and a success had been a terrible thing. What has appeared to be a terrible event has turned out to be a rich blessing. We come up against a wall in our life, and don't get me wrong, it's hard. It straight up sucks. But I would ask you this question. What makes you so sure this is not a blessing? God works in this mysterious way, and sometimes we get these glimpses, and we think that maybe we understand what he's up to, but we can't even begin to comprehend the ripple effect of what God is doing. Consider Abraham. We've talked about just some of the walls that he went through in his life, and this wall that he faced with Isaac. And right after God stays Abraham's hand, we read this. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham comes up against this huge wall, this terrible task that he's been asked to do. He has no idea what God is about, but he trusts and he obeys. And as a result, God makes Abraham this promise, this incredible promise. God says, look, I'm aware of the details of your life. I'm going to bless you and your descendants. All the nations, in fact, are going to be blessed through you. And here's what is so amazing about the mysteries of God. Through Abraham came Jesus. Abraham was faithful. He trusted God. He allowed God to take him through this wall, and as a result, God entrusted Abraham's lineage. The most expansive of all of God's blessing comes through Abraham. What makes you so sure this is not a blessing? I don't think there's any way that Abraham could have even began to comprehend this promise that God had just made him. As I said earlier, maybe some of you here today are at the wall. And I want to be clear that everyday trials are not what I mean by the wall. It's not a dark night of the soul when Tim Hortons is out of your favorite donut. I'm talking the life-changing, the life-stopping wall. And so maybe some of you are at the wall today. And maybe you've been there a long, long time. You feel like you're caged, trapped, and it's scary because you have no idea where you're going. But hear this. At the wall, and for some of you in this room right now, God is invading you. The dark night of the soul and the wall is a time in your journey when God himself is invading your life. He's emptying you of the things that you're holding on to so that you hold on to him and him alone, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So that when you pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, you really mean it. And God is right there, and he's just promising that if you'll just stay with him, if you'll just trust him through this wall and not quit, that you're going to come out the other side a completely different person. 
we don't know how long it's going to take. I don't know how long you'll be at the wall. I've been to a wall, through wall, a wall that lasted a few months. I've been through a wall that lasted a few years. But what makes you so sure this is not a blessing? I want to end by telling you about my mom. I mentioned earlier that a few years ago, my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. About 10 years prior to that, uh, my mom went through breast cancer and she beat it. And so when we heard that it might be back, I remember thinking to myself, yeah, it's going to be hard, of course, but she's beat it before, she'll beat it again. And I remember the exact moment when I got the phone call. I was in Best Buy and I was looking at new computers. And I was in no way prepared for the news that it was terminal. The thought never crossed my mind. And when I got the call, understandably, I broke down. But I only broke down for about five minutes, and th then I was okay. And I figured at the time, I thought I was just in denial of the news. But looking back now, I can see that God was giving me a faith in, in that time that I didn't understand. Let me tell you this. This wall that my family came against, and more specifically that my mom came against, has been a huge source of blessing for my family. In the months after her diagnosis, my mom was receiving these very specific prophecies, many in regards to her being healed. As a result of my mom's faith through the wall, my sister came back to Christ. As a result of my mom's faith through the wall, my brother came back to Christ. As a result of this journey of deeper trust that my mom was on, God led her on this entirely new journey. She was the head chef of Barnabas at the time, but God had other things in mind. And she went to Arrow Leadership, and she began to build this amazing internship program at Barnabas, the internship that I met my wife through. Uh, she's, in fact, in charge of all the young adult ministries now at Barnabas, which impacts hundreds of people. This terrible diagnosis that completely turned all of our lives upside down, this wall that we thought would only bring pain, this dark night of the soul that nobody would have called a blessing has been exactly that. And she has been healed of terminal cancer. We don't know how long we're going to be at the wall, but we do know that God is for us and God is good. We know that Christ is in the business of setting us free. Christ is in the business of bringing people back to him. Life is a journey. Walls are going to come. And friends, I can say this with experience. It's going to be hard. But if you hold on to him, if you cling to him, if you trust in him, if you seek his will over your own will, God is going to bless you abundantly through whatever wall comes your way. Let me pray for you. Lord, we declare that you are good, that you are righteous, and we know that you are for us, that you always live to intercede for us. God, we trust you. We know that you are at work, that you are on the move. Help us when we come against the wall. Help us to seek first your will, your kingdom, your righteousness. We love you, Lord. Amen.